You know, drinking, drinking the stuff. Like, no, we're not out here, you know, cutting folks and drinking blood and like, no. Santeria, you know, they do that. They do that hooda 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 thingy, and they they do the dances and all that. Welcome back to another episode of Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people you need to know, the stories you want to hear. Today, I am joined by, of course, another very special guest, another family member of mine, my big sis. She is a true African-American in the sense of the word. She is legendary in her own right, keeping the legend of the family going, the legacy of the family going, I should say. We're going to get into that drumming and world music history of the family so that you know who we are talking about. And then some little bit of other stuff, of course, that's in there that's going to keep you understanding who this woman actually is. Please give a warm round of applause to my sis, Yeko Labzetko Cole. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what up, sis? What's going on? How you doing? I'm good. I'm How good. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you know, doing the thing. I'm y'all, and uh, giving the peoples the information they needs to hear about my folk and who we be talking about. Um, y'all. I love it. I mm-hmm. love it. Yes, I love the earrings, Gian G. Thank you. Hey. Yes, We're always representing in some way. Hey. A little bit here, a little bit there. What? What? Spring- yeah. There you I'm, go. I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying. What, what? Representing <laughs> the Ghana. What? Come on now. Ain't no half stepping with G. You know how we right. be. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. So the reason why we're talking about representing, and I'm going to ask you about Gian Gian a little bit, and why I mentioned Ghana is because Yako, you were born in the U.S. in yes. California, but the family is from Ghana. Yes. Where in Ghana is the family from? Where does the legacy start? Well, if we want to really get into it. Let's get into um, it. Let's get into it. Actually, a little bit of history. Let's go down deep into the ethnology. Educate the peoples. Yes, yes. Um, uh, We currently are um, from the Volta region in Ghana, um, and that is in the southeastern part of Ghana, the Volta region. But our migration history actually starts from Benin. Oh. Um, and so before colonization of the various African countries by the Dutch, Portuguese, Germans, the British, mm-hmm. um, And before they divided Africa as they saw fit, you know, um, prior to the Berlin Conference, um, you know, Africa and its territories and regions were um, designated by the ethnic tribes Mm -hmm. uh, in where they were mainly living. So the Ebes, the Ebes speaking people, that is my family's ethnic tribe. The history of origin is in Benin. 
before the migration. Um, it was sort of like the story of, you know, the exodus mm-hmm. um, of the uh, Egyptians in past time. But for our family, the Lanzepo family, um, we were under a king that was not so nice. And uh, as the story goes, one of the last elders of the group during that reign of the king, Agogli, mm-hmm. um, he had passed away. His son took over and he was even more ruthless, if that's even mm-hmm. possible. <laughs> and so um, the every people they uh, plotted to to leave mm-hmm. to uh, and find new land and um, or not new land, but just a new place to 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 live. And so um, they did that and in the process traveled through uh, areas of Nigeria, Benin, Togo, finally residing in Ghana where it was my five times great-grandfather, whose name was Anya, A-N-Y-A, who then was the one that settled and said, okay, look, this is where we're going to stop. We can't do this no more. We have to just, (laughs) you know, end this. And so where they ended was the town that he established as Anyako, meaning we have arrived. Hey. So that is Anyako, my five times great grandfather. Um uh his uh where he established the town after the exodus, if you will. Um and so yes, that is in now in the known area of the Volta region in southeastern Ghana. Um, And again, we border Togo and we'll probably get into this when we talk about uh, our visit that we took together. Mm -hmm. But uh, that area borders Togo. And so that is our neighboring country. And um, that is one of the things that, you know, now currently in Ghana is is happening with. Uh, certain territorial wars within the different ethnic tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to erase that line and kind of merge people with other tribes and just kind of get rid of that ethnic group um, and try to convert them to the major ethnic group in Ghana, which is the Chui-speaking people. Um, so not to divert too much, because I know we want to try to get into a no, lot. No, no, of, no, 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 but, Educa- educate but, the peoples now. Come on, give them history. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, the argument is uh, Ghana was colonized by the British, so mm. English is the first language, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have all the other indigenous ethnic languages of the various ethnic groups. But the major group is the Akan group, um, which uh, speak Twi, mm-hmm. spelled T-W-I. And so uh, the Ewe speaking people are one of the minor 
uh, ethnic groups in Ghana. And um, yeah, the thought is, you know, that that language isn't thriving. There's, you know, no reason for those people and they just want to, yeah, <laughs> combine ethnic groups and just, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. There's, there's a lot of unhappy people with that thought philosophy of one person saying, oh, this group doesn't really matter. You know, their language isn't very prominent in our society. So therefore, let's just do away with it. If that uh, ain't so, some, I know <laughs> if that ain't some colonization mentality, even though it's not from the colonizers, but come on, how about cultural preservation where this is right. part of your literal lineage of the establishment of this country? How are you just going to, uh, you know what? The Native Americans, seeing that we almost wiped them out, their languages aren't really that important. Let's just convert them into English-speaking people and convert them over into what we call Americans. It's fine. Or the Suomi or Native Indigenous people in Scandinavia, yeah, they're up north. That actually happens anyway. And the Aboriginals in Australia, you know, they're... They're almost right. on the brink of going away anyway. So let's just exactly. the push. Right. Right. Let's just help it along. Right. <laughs> but it's funny because your phone went off earlier. It gave a little notification when you were talking about the European countries that colonized the continent and you finished and it went ding. <laughs> Oh, I was trying to silence it. I was like, shut up. But it was but the I didn't most want to perfect. Lose my train of thought. No, and I didn't interrupt you then because I didn't want you to lose your train of thought either. But the best thing was you you were like the Dutch, the Belgians, the Portuguese, the blah blah blah. And then you finished with one country and it was like, ding. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. So, so uh that's the that's the history of the Ibis and how it is, you know, generation generationally speaking, you know, um my family and that lineage that mm-hmm. is this valid, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, even though it is a small story, it's still their story nonetheless and part of what uh who we are as right. Ghanaians. Um, is there a possibility to, uh, make it a UNICEFCO heritage site so that, that, that line can't be erased because then it becomes a world culture heritage site? Uh, you know, that's a thought. I, I, it is a thought. It is a thought. And it's, it's, it's all about the current administration right now, right? which unfortunately are showing, you know, very many parallels to the uh, Trump administration <laughs> um, and how you talk about, you know, it's unfortunate that it's not even the colonizers that are clearly gone, but have left that their, their yeah. ways. Um, you know, we are now an independent country um but still have a lot of that rooted mentality that was really embedded into and that was the whole point right when they came over here to just impose their thought process way of life you Mm -hmm. know how things should 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 be and how people should live and you know um it's 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 all the same problem everywhere 
You know, it doesn't matter where you go. Let's also put this into uh, reference for people. Ghana became an independent nation in 1963 or five? 57. 57. So even Mm. then, that's still only 64 years ago. Yeah, that's not that that's someone's yeah. grandparent or that's someone's right. parent right now. So it's not even that right. long. So I always I always say this about like in the U.S. as well, when when talking about like civil rights and segregation, all of that mentality that's still there, that the civil rights only happened 50 something years ago. So just because that ended doesn't mean that, that the, whole, I was such a long time ago. Right, Get over it. Right. Like, no. So all those lingering things just don't filter away after so many right. small years. This isn't 500 exactly. years ago. This is 50 to exactly. 60 years we're talking about. So all of those mentalities are still built in. Still, yep. Ingrained. Yeah. yeah. So it's hard. Yeah. To get, it's really hard to get through that. Yeah. Funny that you say that as, you know, that someone's, you know, grandparent slash even more currently parent, mm-hmm. um, because my father, and we'll get into this also, yeah. you know, reel me back in yeah. when we get there. But um, my father, uh, when he was in the um, Ghana Dance Ensemble, they were commissioned to uh, perform during that celebration that happened in Black Times Square, where we visited and yeah. when we took that shot in front mm-hmm. of the cauldron yep mm-hmm. yeah so yeah that was that was my father's time <laughs> you know <laughs> just recently <laughs> so yeah so let's talk about dad how did dad get to dad and mom how did they get from yeah. ghana when did they get from ghana over to the state it's funny how when you say that dad and mom, when I say my dad, I automatically include my mom. No, I know, they but, were just, for, you know, but for other, you know? but for other so, people, right. me, right. me and you, I understand. I understand the family because like I'm an honorary of the family. She's but always talking other, about her dad. Is she just a single? Right, like, exactly. <laughs> is your mom oh, so sorry? Should it's we not your, bring her up? <laughs> <laughs> Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't raised by a single parent. <laughs> okay, yeah. So clarification. Dad and mom, but when I say dad, I mean mom as well. They were just, you know, a pair. They were yeah. part of it, it was yeah, you couldn't separate. It, mm-hmm. it, that's, Still can't. Anyhow. So yes. Um, well, all of that's started uh my uh dad coming to this country was through the um institute of african studies program at the university in ghana the main one actually at that time uh at legon mm-hmm. um and so uh prior to that you know the uh, performing wasn't like you know, a thing and where people did that as income, you mm-hmm. know, for way of life was either you were in some kind of trade, uh, you were a mechanic, you were a seamstress, as you know, with all the mm-hmm. seam, you know, stress, uh, um, stores that were in Ghana when you mm-hmm. went, um, you know, those were the main jobs. Like there wasn't much more than that. And if you were in the rural areas, such as my parents' village, Anyako, then uh, you were either fishing 
or doing some other kind of trade um, with with farming and mm-hmm. going to the market every Sunday. Like we have farmers markets out here mm-hmm. and you would sell your goods. That was it. It was really simple. You <laughs> um, weren't doing much other than that. And the music and dancing was just part of the way of life. That was how we celebrate. We mourn, you know, mm-hmm. um, we, we, uh, do initiations mm-hmm. into rite of passage and, you know, right. Rite of passage, all of that stuff. So that was just the foundation of life, you know, form and function and all of that. It, it was ingrained into how we lived daily and, mm-hmm you would always hear music at some point during the day for one reason or another, just because, you know? Um, so it wasn't that formal thought of, Oh, let's rehearse and Oh, let's, you know, <laughs> perform and let's do this. So it, it, it wasn't like that. So he was just doing what he did naturally because that was part of our lineage. Right. You know, um, part of the language. Yeah grandparents, aunts, uncles, that was all what they did because that was part of the family, uh, heritage. Mm -hmm. Um, my great uncle was the, um, (sighs) (laughs) and on, it's funny how that happens on like the very, important moments of what it is that I'm saying, because not for my great uncle who has, uh, passed away, um, God rest his soul, but, um, he was the, you know, in the, in the, in the real meaning sense of the word master drummer or term, Mm -hmm. um, he was that for Mm -hmm. our family, um, the purveyor of our music and, uh, he knew it all. And um, he unfortunately passed away in 1969 suddenly, but it was because of him that my father, you know, continued with everything that he was doing. And and he really looked up to him as his senior brother Mm -hmm. and um, his mentor, if you will. Um, So a lot of the stuff that he knows was just passed down by being surrounded by it. You know, Mm -hmm. again, it wasn't like a teaching method. It was just you absorbed it because it was constantly around you, which is how I grew up in it. And I'm now doing what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. but anyhow, so, um, it started out, you know, just as the daily cultural happenings in the village to then, um, the gentleman that my father was invited by, his name is Mr. Opoku, who started a small group um, to just, you know, start doing performances, not in the sense of, you know, getting paid for it, but to just, you know, show cultural variety, Mm -hmm. um, which then led to my father being seen, um, by someone that then said, Hey, you know, there's this guy at the university who's trying to do this in just, the preservation of the different various styles of Ghanaian music and dance. And um, people have to understand that, you know, the Volta region is its own region, um, separate from the Asante region, from the Northern region, Brong Ahafo. There's so many different 
regions. And within those regions are different ethnic groups that speak different languages. And in certain cases, different dialects of those languages. So our dialect is Anglo Ewe. We just say Ewe now because uh, it's just assumed that if you're Ewe, you're from the Anglo. Mm-hmm. Um, there is Ewe's that are still in Benin, like I said, in parts of Togo that speak a different dialect. And that dialect that's spoken in Togo has a mixture of French, because why? Togo was colonized by the French. Mm. So I have family in Togo that will speak Ewe, but it has a lot of French, you know. Rhythm and uh, melodies. In in the way, yes, eloquence in the way that they say it. Um, So uh, that's, you know, what I wanted to just kind of touch on with Mm. the different languages and then dialects of those languages. Um, so when we hear, you know, someone say something ridiculous, like, oh, you speak African? Yes, we still say that. Oh, right. Swahili? Oh, the national language? Like, no, <laughs> that's impossible. That just, that is the stupidest thing that I have to continuously educate people on and get them to understand. Just in Ghana alone, when you're in the northern part versus the southern part, mm-hmm. like, these two people would not be able to talk to get to each other unless they either somehow learned how to speak English, which is the main language, the official language of Ghana, um, or somehow, you know, this person here in the South was up in the North doing business or some sort of trade and ended up learning some of the language, but they wouldn't know how to communicate to each other otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that's what I try to explain to people. So how much more, the entire continent, countries on the West versus countries on the East, like, no. <laughs> versus countries in the North versus countries in the South. It's, <laughs> right. it's a continent, people, with multiple. Right. <laughs> so, and, um, yeah, let me not even. Okay, so. so- <laughs> dance, but anyway, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, so, go back. Okay. No, so, so back to dad. Yes. Yeah, back to dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then he eventually um, was asked to come to the university. Mm-hmm. And then um, he was sought out to then teach every music and dance. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's one particular dance known as Achagbeko that is uh, our family dance. Like, It is a direct uh, line from our lineage, like from straight from the top. Mm -hmm. That dance is a Lazibo dance. Um, And it is a dance that is done or was done uh, during the times of war. Um, Mm -hmm. It was previously known as Atamga. That's where... Um, it derived from. So Achagbeko is a modern day representation of that. Mm-hmm. And Atamga, um, A-T-A-M-G-A, uh, means great oath, which was, you know, what the warriors would take before a battle in preparing themselves. Uh, so anyway, um, they wanted to, they at the university wanted to really understand it, learn it, know it and be able to perform it as part of their 
uh, troupe, mm-hmm. uh, traveling dance group. Um, and this is at University so of Ghana? My father in Ghana at okay. the university. Mm-hmm. So that is where the first <laughs> national dance group came out of the university. Now there are very lots of different performance troops um, that come from the national theater, from other various different universities now as well. But back then in the uh, late fifties, early sixties, it was just um, university of Ghana at Legon. Mm-hmm. And it was through there that they started Institute of African studies as a branch um, uh, to, to develop the intercultural, you know, um, uh, idea of sharing and, and learning from the different ethnic groups. And then, you know, displaying that uh, within Ghana and abroad. So then that's when he started traveling with the group uh, because they had, um, they had experts in uh, different areas, right? They had my dad that was doing the Ewe and then they had someone else from the Northern area mm-hmm. that was doing that style. And then the Ashanti, um, they had someone doing all of that style, which, you know, was one of the bigger ethnic groups. So anyhow, it was all housed under the Institute of African Studies. So through all that travel, um, my father was uh, uh, reached out, um, someone reached out from New York and he ended up there at New Pulse University mm-hmm. where he started doing, you know, workshops and lectures. And then uh, after his time there, there was a gentleman known as Nicholas England who was asked to come to California to head up the music department at CalArts, which was at the time still being built uh, by none other than Walt Disney himself. Mm -hmm. It was initially just going to be a school for animation, uh, but then they decided to, you know, uh, open it up to all the, disciplines and the various uh, arts. And so Nicholas England was asked to become the first uh, dean of mm-hmm. the music school. And he had just this, you know, bigger than life idea to have a world music program within the music school because, mm-hmm. you know, he had an interest and love for world music. He traveled to Ghana with my parents and was actually initiated into one of our um, religions, the Afa religion. Um, uh, This is a white man. Let me just also (laughs) say that. (laughs) So um, not that that matters, but I'm just saying, you know, just so that you can really understand how, like what this meant. This question is that it is time. Right. Right. Um, he was the one that was really adamant about, you know, teaching world music and using that to just, um, have people understand, you know, that there is a world out there of so many different, you know, cultures, beliefs, you know, religion, music, all of that. And we can, you know, learn from that and mm-hmm. and 
So um, then the world music program was created and that's when he had my father come and that was the beginning. Um, and uh, yeah, my father, along with some other folks um, from different uh, parts of the world, India, uh, Indonesia, um, Brazil, and some other areas, uh, started officially in 1971, mm-hmm. 70. And uh, yeah, he was the first founding faculty for the World Music Program within the music department. So then, you know, obviously they had all the other you know, jazz focus and classical mm-hmm. and all that stuff, but the World Music Program was really the heart of what people sought out when, you know, they looked at CalArts. And to this day, a lot of what my dad implemented in those early years um, is still part of the foundation of that program and its curriculum. So uh, my dad retired in 2007, which you were a part of. Yep. Um, And uh, I am now, you know, I had a little bit of a hiatus. I, taught back and forth when they would go on creative leave and whatnot. Uh, And then when my mother, my mother kept teaching after my father retired because my father had one of his um, mentees, prodigy, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, that really studied, studied with my dad during his undergraduate and graduate years at CalArts mm-hmm. and then subsequently also going back to Ghana to study with other family members. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that, uh, he was the one that continued on in my father's place. Um, not saying that he filled his shoes, but he was the one that was most, uh, aside from myself, which, you know, I was kind of already doing that. Right. Um, so, uh, but then I was at the same time, I was, you know, trying to also develop my career and I was Mm. kind of doing separate projects and couldn't fully focus on being the, uh, director, right. Mm. Of the music portion of our program. That's a, that's a lot, by the way, people don't realize It is. It is. So Andrew was the one that stepped in on uh, my father's request Mm -hmm. as he was uh, exiting. And he did make that request. Um, And so it was Andrew that stayed on with my mom until my mom retired in 2013 or 14. Um, And then mom stayed on that much longer after that. Yeah, it was quite it was. I think we touched on this before. It may have been mm. earlier. I might be off with my <laughs> a year or two, but still the fact Maybe. that she yes. continued on so much because they it were such a team. On. And like I said, I was kind of in and out as well. Yeah. Um, so then uh she retired and there was a little bit of a gap of four years because they decided to go in a different direction with the African program. And Mm. let's just say that didn't end well. And now here I am back. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get into that. 
noted we are going to we're not going to get deep into that but we're going to touch into you and your lineage going into there so dad was uh how can i how can i say this Dad focused on a lot of the drumming, the 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 music yes. of uh, the Eve, and teaching that in the program. And part of your legendary legacy of this legendary family, continuing on these traditions and practices, and teaching them in a university level. Uh, as a female, it wasn't uh, for a long time. It wasn't norm. I don't want to say normal, but it wasn't norm no. for a female no. to drum. No, no. And that was my role uh, and my mother's role, actually, uh, just talking about that. Also, Mm -hmm. when I say my dad, my dad, my dad. um, Yeah, my dad dually was, you know, a drummer and a dancer Mm -hmm. and great at both. But there comes a time where you can't really do both. Right. And my mom came in as the, you know, teaching duo uh, that was her focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I talk to people about this all the time and some people get offended and they're like, but didn't that bother you? And it's just like, <laughs> uh, no, like I said, back at home, you know, women have their roles and men have theirs and mm-hmm. that's just the way it worked. Um, you know, uh, funny enough, David, you know, jokes yeah. about how David is her husband. Asked how we've been married for so long, 25 years and counting. And he says, because Woo-hoo. I know my place. <laughs> and it's like, it's true. <laughs> like, in our marriage, he has his place and I have mine and we coexist. And right. it's perfect because we don't infringe upon that. You know, he is he and I am me. And yeah. that's it. Like people overthink this type of stuff too much. And it's like, well, I would never, I'm just not going to be, you know, a woman that stays home and does this and does that. And it's like, okay, well, if that's what you do, I mean. Right. That's, that's your lifestyle. That's, that's your role. You decided to take that. And it was never a forbidden thing for you. No, it just just kind of was. (laughs) Right. That's what it was back then. You didn't see women drumming. It's not like right. it was taboo. In certain cases, when we get into like the cult music, then yes, mm-hmm. that has a whole different background in history. Let's wait, wait, but, wait, stop. Wait, hold on, hold on. When we say cult, we're talking about oh, not yeah. not your occult type thing where we're worshiping yes. devils and demons and Satanism and shit. We're not talking about that. Cult no, has a not. different context outside of the English vernacular <laughs> where a yes. cult yes. is more of a religious fact. It is more of a sect of religion versus Secular an actual music. Right. Yes. Yeah. Versus yes. an actual cult. Let me just Thank you drop so much that knowledge there. <laughs> just to clarify that for people listening. Yes. Yes, please. Because, you know, everybody's already thinking about, you know, Guyana and Jim Jones and, you know, drinking, drinking the stuff like, no, we're not out here, you know, Uh, cutting folks and drinking blood and like, uh, 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 no. Santeria and you know they do that they do that huda 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 thingy and they they do the dances and all that that's a that's some trickery going yeah. on there 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I started it. I started it. It's okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) so wait, wait, go and so (laughs) pulling it back in. Uh, So even, even with mom, there was uh, like her stepping into that role. She sort of got, I don't want to say approval, but she did get approval from great uncle to uh, step yes. in and to do the dances and stuff. And mm-hmm. it wasn't that she couldn't, it was just. No one before her did it. Right. And, and, you know, it, it, it wasn't like someone, you know, came and made a proclamation and that's why no one did. It's just that interest wasn't there mm-hmm. until she had the interest and someone saw her and they were like, oh, she's really good at that. And this is the Echagbeko dance, which was only done by men previously because it was only men that were going to, to war. war and taking oath to battle. You know, women had their supportive role in uh in those scenarios by being the ones that were lamenting on the mm-hmm. side and 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 doing the prayers and the the vigils if you will to you know give that strength mm-hmm. for them to go and be successful and come back and and that was the women's role which isn't something that should looked at as you know a lesser role because without that support what would the men be able to accomplish? Right. Let's, so let's also put it, let's also put it in this context, woman is fertility. Woman is div- divinity. Like we like right. without women, there would be no man. So for a woman to put her female energy into protecting men, like that is her continuing to give life. It is mm-hmm. so outside of, uh, and I, uh, I don't hate to say it, but I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it, but it's so outside of that Western mentality, that yes. Western European mentality of what male and female roles are. Yes. That if you and go that's back, the problem. You're, you go back to the beginning and the woman is life. Mother Earth gives life and takes it away. So we pray to a woman every day to give us life and the woman protects us and guides us. So why is it any different or difficult or lesser of a standard for us to mm. see women be the protector and caregiver of life throughout mm. these stages. It's something as simple as that. But then again, it's like, oh, well, I would never just, pre-. and it's like you as a mother, <laughs> right? you as a mother, that is your right. role. <laughs> life, right. can't, life can't exist without you as being a mother. The man cannot Fertilize or uh, not fertilize. That's not what I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Nourish is the word I was looking for. (laughs) See, that's what happens when we get heated. We just be foaming at the mouth. It's just like. You you know what the fuck I'm talking about. You know what word I meant. Now just listen to what I'm saying. Don't be trying to get all textbook on me right now. You know what you know. You know what I'm trying to say. You know what's what I'm talking about. The fertilization, oh, where they, you fertilize with God. nutrients and stuff in the earth. Right. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. This is what we do. So, mom is now taking on this role of 
leading these dances and being the what's the word I'm looking for? The purveyor, the holder of these mm-hmm. rites and passages to go along with dad. That's again, why their team was so dynamic as a duo. Right. That yep. I don't and think it, it could have worked any other way. <laughs> right. Right. And it was, you know, my uh, great uncle that, you know, I was just talking about mm-hmm. that just kind of signed off on it and it just became okay. Uh, not that, you know, lots of women were lining up to jump in and do the same because it took a minute. It wasn't until after she left um, to come to the States where, you know, it just kind of started to flourish a little bit more where you would see, you know, um, women dancing that particular dance, but Mm -hmm. she, uh, she, she started it and um, yeah, it just, it, didn't seem to, you know, I think with, in regards to my, my great uncle, you know, it was just like when he saw it from the stories and how my father told me of this occurrence and happening, he was just like, oh, you know, it just never occurred to folks that once this dance, you know, started being done more socially as opposed to for, you know, actual times of war, it was just Mm -hmm. like, Oh, okay. Why can't a woman do it? You know, it's not like we're out going to the battlefield anymore. And, you know, this is just for, you know, social gatherings and, and, and certain. So then, you know, it slowly started to get to a place in people's mindset that it wasn't, you know, something that was, uh, taboo or was like, you know, bad luck if, or, you know, she would be damned to hell. (laughs) It's that, it's that legacy and lineage of cultural preservation. Someone has to keep it alive and it shouldn't matter who does it. It just never happened before that. Right. So then, you know, that's kind of what happened with me when I started drumming. That was going to be my next segue. Right. And so that was my uh, path in that as it was for my mother, where it just kind of happened. Um, It started from, you know, a small, like, Oh, at the age of 18, um, you know, I was, like I said, coming in and out, helping my parents here and there. I was actually going to the JC that is down the street from CalArts College of the Canyons. Junior College, JC stands for. Thing to to um, major in child development, mm-hmm. right? I was... Oh, I, you'd be I, great I, at I, that. You already, you already work with kids all the time. It's <laughs> Right, right. It's family, nieces, nephews. I was babysitting right. all the time, you know, changing diapers from a very young age. So... I had that on lock. (laughs) And then I was going to, um, uh, I wanted to teach, not necessarily teach our music, but somehow I didn't want to integrate it because, you know, that was just kind of my thing with just being able to work in, you know, my Western side being born and raised here with my African side Mm -hmm. being still brought up in the tradition and the culture. Um, So, yeah, I would just kind of come in. My dad would be giving individual lessons or whatnot. And, 
he would just randomly ask me to, you know, play the bell to help guide students through certain patterns or rhythms that he was playing because the bell is the timekeeper. So they had mm-hmm. to associate, you know, their measure, if you will. Mm-hmm. We don't really count in our music, but just so that people can understand um, it's all about cycles. It's a mm-hmm. cyclic type of measurement that we do as opposed to five, six, seven, eight, oh, one, two, three, four, <laughs> five. <laughs> like, no, I mean, we may be doing that internally, but there's no, it's not numeric, right? right? It's just finding that cycle. And that's what the bell represents in our music. So anyhow, um, yeah, I was always on the dance side of this mm-hmm. anytime since birth. I was literally born at CalArts. My mother danced with me to her ninth month, gave birth to me. I was never in daycare or had a babysitter. Like I was strapped on her back. There's pictures in the CalArts archives of her with me and my big old five head on her back (laughs) dancing, right? I would be in the corner while they were in class. So I was... I was raised in it, like literally raised in it mm-hmm. as those back at home were just um, living in it, you know? Um, so there was a slight difference where it was set in a teaching environment mm-hmm. that I indirectly learned through as opposed to for my parents, it was in a life daily environment mm-hmm. that you know they lived through um if you can understand where it is that i'm saying right. just that difference mm-hmm. um because coming into the western society yeah they had to uh institutionalize if you will mm-hmm. what was just a a, a what was just general life yeah right what was, what was right. just it just was. <laughs> it just was. Sometimes there's no answer to certain things. It just is. Right. I don't have an answer for you. Like, be okay <laughs> with that. Be okay with that. <laughs> it's what his father did, and then his father's father, and his father's father's father. So that's it. Like, some people with their questions and having to an- have answers drives me crazy. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> um <laughs> So he would just be like, I need you to play this so I can show him this. And then I would be able to play it just because I heard it every day, constantly on my mother's back, you know, on the dance floor. Yes. And that was never taught. And it's, it, 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 you know, later it just dawns on me growing up that that was so important. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, like, how do we know? to sing happy birthday. How do we know how to sing it? How do we know the lyrics? Like, were you ever taught to someone sit down and say, okay, we're going to learn this song so that you know how to sing it when it's someone's birthday. No. Like, so that's kind of how I relate it to when I try to explain to people, it really was just, it, 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 it was a subconscious learning and being around it and surrounded by it that I knew what to do when the time came to do it. Yeah. Same thing when I finally grabbed a stick and then I was like, Oh, like I'm playing this because you know, our drum rhythms, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's, it's a syllabic 
Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, it's, it, it actually speaks. There are tones, there are syllables, mm-hmm. every drum pattern that is played can be said or furthermore sung. Some of the rhythms have a song that actually are what the drum is playing, the lead drum. And that is what the supporting drums respond to with their dialogue. So then there's a conversation. And when we talk about breaks, right, Mm -hmm. or drum calls, signals, Mm -hmm. cues, all of that is, in a sense, spoken words to the supporting drummers and then further to the dancers. And it's all a language Mm -hmm. and it speaks. And so I was hearing that language all the time, all the time. So that then when it came to me putting my hands to actually do it, it was like pretty much already there. And every now and then when I would hit a stroke, then my father would, you know, say the correct syllable to me. Mm. And then I would understand because I know where that goes Mm. on the drum. Um, And then boom, before you knew it, I was playing a lot of the lead pieces of our uh, music repertoire that I never actually sat down to learn from my dad to play. Was it the same for the dance? Was it the same for the dance side? Did you just, from being with mom and being like, you just right. know and what these look like and what they feel like and what they sound like, how they match to the rhythms because of watching her. Yeah. So I knew what to do because when it was all that kind of emulating mm-hmm. and that's how she got discovered, if you will, mm-hmm. she was just on the sidelines and that's just, you know, in, in, in back at home, traditionally, it's just an open air setting. You have villagers everywhere. You have all these little kids running around. You saw yeah. those little kids that you were giving water to. Oh my God. We're going to talk about water. that. Oh, and then they started playing the water bottles. Yo. We're- yes. And they were emulating because yeah. that was their environment. You know, monkey see monkey do not referencing yeah. us as monkeys. No. I'm just saying. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that came out in the wrong place, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't even think about it until you paused. Until you paused, I had I was like, oh <laughs> I'm crying right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, she said it so I could say it. She- <laughs> <laughs> you about okay. to make me start crying. Uh, Anyhow, <laughs> so that's just the process, right? Of right. how one grows up in the music. You're just kind of playing around, monkeying about. Damn it, I'm There's no other thing you can say, though. There's literally nothing else you could say. Just say it. Oh, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Don't try. If you say jungle animal in a barrel, it even makes it even worse. Just go. <laughs> I certainly am trying to find another no, reference. Go. Okay. Just go for it. Okay. Oh. Anyway. So, yeah, you know, that's just these kids, they're running around 
you know, goofing off. There mm. you go. Goofing off. Yeah. Being silly. <laughs> um, and they don't even realize it. They're, they're learning in that process. And so, yes, as my mom did that, and then someone saw her and they were like, oh, she actually dances that pretty well. We should mm. have, you know, Donga, um, which is the uh, a term for uncle, um, watch her dance. Mm. And then, you know, it was the same for me once I could get off her back and even being on her back, just feeling the motion of the movement. Right. A lot of people don't really put that layer in there. Right. Just feeling the pulse and the rhythms, Mm -hmm. you know, coming through her and into Mm -hmm. me, even prior to that in utero. Right. In utero, like you have all these studies about how, you know, putting headphones on a woman's belly when she's pregnant and sending those sound waves. Like it's all. So you even knew, so Yako, you even knew all of those syllables before. I would, I I would have to say probably so. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, it just kept it being reinforced daily, mm -hmm. you know? Um, So then, yes, once I got off her back and started walking and was, you know, on the floor, I would be kind of, you know, doing my little thing and not paying attention. And there's actually a story of my first debut, you know, um, part of the world music program was doing outreach into Mm -hmm. the community. At that time, there was hardly anything out here in Valencia. It was just dust and dirt and grove trees and (laughs) chaparral flying all around. But yes, they would go out to schools and do school assemblies to try to teach children because, you know, back then all people knew of Africans were that they were like Mowgli living in huts or, you know, wearing loincloths. And (laughs) so we had to go out and teach Or Tarzan. Right, right, right. Tarzan. That's that's the one. Yeah. Um, You know, so they had to go out and, and, you know, teach the people and educate them. And, you know, dispel all sorts of myths and what have you. Um, So, like I said, you know, my mother never, I had, I never had a babysitter. Mm. Not until I started school was when I actually would be out of her sight or reach. And so they would take me to these school shows and set me up in uh, the audience with, you know, all the other little kids, kindergartners, what have you. And there was one day where I actually got up and while they were doing the performance, my father noticed that a lot of the children were being distracted and it was like, what's going on? And come to find out it was me. (laughs) I thought, you know, I thought this was like, you know, just their regular class time where I could just get up and, you know, do my thing. And everyone knew that I was their child. So, you know, they were used to me being there and they weren't distracted because they were the students. But then when it was an outside performance gig, you know, it was, it was different. And so, uh, yeah, that was like my first coming out, if you will, where Mm. they saw that obviously I would be continuing and, and, you know, doing, uh, 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 what my mom kind of started with me nice. um, while being on her back. So anyhow, yeah, that was the first sign of, of me going to be a dancer and it never stopped from there. So once you, so once you started 
uh, playing bell and then you're doing the syllable rhythms on the drums and you have the dance stuff. Did you have to, how did, what was the process? Because did you have to get, uh, not certified, but to teach, to teach in an academic uh, institution in the States, you typically have to have some kind of accreditation to be accepted into the program that you've studied. And now because you've studied, you know what you're doing because we just can't have anyone off the street just coming in here and doing whatever they want. Well, (laughs) presumably, presumably, you know, (laughs) but uh, well, you know, CalArts is a private institution uh, run by a board of trustees. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, when my mother was pregnant with me, everybody knew who I was before I was. Hmm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I, I grew up in uh, that school community. And so a lot of people who are deceased now, um, you know, watched me through the years hmm. grow up in that institution. And prior to me actually going there as a student um, in the dance program, I was always seen performing through the, all the various performances throughout the year. And um, I would be taking on, you know, the, the outreach programs to do the school assemblies and whatnot, like I had just mentioned. So I was well known through the CalArts community, whether, you know, it was one of the very many departments um, one, the main one being dance. And I'll tell you mm. that story as well, how I kind of got roped into that. <laughs> and ended up switching my career major. Um, but um, yeah, so the accreditation was um, my life mm-hmm. upbringing, right. you know, pretty much. Those were my credits. That was my resume. <laughs> that was... <laughs> So, you know, they, they just knew the administration knew. And so therefore, you know, when the time was needed for, and we're talking about short stints of teaching mm-hmm. where my parents were taking a sabbatical for a semester, which is all of like, you know, what, five months. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to try to, you know, do a type of audition or search, mm-hmm. you know, to try to find somebody to come in. It was like, I was already there pretty much doing it already, helping them. That just seemed more logical. And, and I, was, I was just about to say, logically, who would be the next choice? Like this girl has birthright into this. Yeah. Yeah. But, so um, that's how that went. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, yeah, even after, you know, that would happen, Uh, Throughout those years, in my teen years, the dean of the dance school was always hitting my parents up. Um, You know, she would see me dance and she would be begging them to, you know, have me audition for the dance program, you know, because I I would be a great asset and it would be great for me as well on the receiving end. And, you know, um, we need some color up in here. uh, Right. (laughs) (laughs) but my parents, you know, like I said, aside from what they came to do and ended up doing, like, you know, the first thought isn't to try to 
make this as a career. Mm. They already knew I had it within me. Mm. They already knew that, you know, this is a part of me and not something that could just be forgotten. That's not how they raised me or brought me up in this music. So, you know, they weren't thinking along those lines that, you know, I could be a great performer or great, you know, whatever out in this field of, of, of dance. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for them, it was just like, well, I don't want to say it's a hobby, but it, for them, it was like a hobby that I could definitely focus on doing something else because this mm-hmm. will always be here. Right. That was their mindset. Um, so they were just like, you know, brushing it off like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's good at dance, whatever. So and <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't that important for them. They knew that it was just like, whatever. Yeah, what she needed so to go to school for. She's she she was birthed in it. What? What what you right, need? To- right, right, right. <laughs> so then, yeah, eventually, you know, it just happens, and I guess they, you know, she wore them down enough to where it was just like, okay, okay, fine, you know. Um, so I auditioned, I, I auditioned, got in, and then I switched, you know, because I was at COC with the child mm. development, and then I just, uh, yeah kind of made the switch and I went to CalArts and graduated with my bachelor's uh, in dance and yeah just went on to do you know a few things here and there so so was that your was that your intro was your it's a BFA right your bachelor of fine arts Mm -hmm. so was was that your introduction to your professional dance career or yeah and also my introduction to just you know western style of dance Mm -hmm. now mind you you know i'm growing up in the san fernando valley which isn't it's 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 right how can i explain this it wasn't la no it was the valley um but we still had areas of the valley that were like kind of the hood for the valley if you will (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I was like still loving R and B, you know, mm-hmm. rap, not, not hip hop in the early years. Cause hip hop was like later, it was yeah. starting yeah. to really pick up in the nineties. And I had, uh, just when I was graduating from high school, but, um, yeah, my parents loved all sorts of music and man, they knew how to party. They were always throwing parties. I would remember CalArts students, driving in from all places knowing that my parents were throwing a party and my mom cooking please that's a recipe for like (laughs) oh and they would throw down not just with the food but with the alcohol because you know us and our libations we all listen for this that and everything (laughs) and they went little little just Time to celebrate something. Oh yeah, libation. Go bring yeah. the <laughs> go bring the cups. Yeah. Va, va. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, I, I I was I was always moving. I was mm-hmm. just a movement technician. I like to say that terminology a lot because right. you know, dancer is all relative. The term mm-hmm. dancer now is just like okay you're a dancer, but what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Hey, okay. (laughs) So, um, I was always moving Mm -hmm. 
um, movements, but I was not technically trained. And again, what is that? Right. We're looking at the perspective of Western ideology, as you were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. as being technically trained. But let me tell you, throw something and throw somebody that's technically trained, quote unquote, into West African music and dance and see what happens. Right. (laughs) You know, technically trained in what capacity, in what way? There's so much technique in African dance that is 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 foundational for you know strength and 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 I mean we could go on and on for days. I'll just I'll just so throw this me, I'll just throw this in there that I always say this. It's much easier for a person who is technically trained in polyrhythmic dance and music understanding, and you can take that word however you want to, but you all know where right. I'm going with it. It's much easier for that person to go into traditional classical Western ideology dancing because it's so much more linear versus the opposite, where a person from the (laughs) from the Western linear ideology of technical foundation to go into this polyrhythmic and poly movement because they don't understand what it means to move. And I love the fact that you move, that you use the terminology movement technician, because that is exactly what it is. There is, I, so I, so not to bring it to me, but as I teach, (laughs) as everybody knows, but I do these, uh, isolation sequences. Right. Where I combine, I combine, uh, quote unquote, hip hop or polyrhythmic isolation with the technical foundation. So when I'm doing tendus and stuff, they have to isolate the upper body, but keep the lower body active. And people are like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, this is dance. If you understand how to move your body, you are there for dancing. If you're just mimicking and robotic shapes to make a line. Right. What are we really doing? Because at that, at that point, this goes back to sort of earlier, what you were saying about, uh, academia, and I actually had this conversation with a friend earlier today about jazz musicians and improvisation, where current people who study academically jazz music, even when they're improving, you look at them it's so, and it's so structured. Yeah. It is so yeah. formulated and precise on where they're placing that there's no margin for not error, but for play. Improv. It's right. a calculated improv. Yes. They still, right. It's, it's not free. It's not, which is what music and dance is. So going back into this, what you were talking about, yeah, your understanding of how to move your body and how to make that happen sets like that's why that's why your parents' colleagues wanted you so much. They're like, this girl's going to like, she's going to set it off. It's just it's 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 this idea of it being natural yeah. and organic. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and within that, there's a certain freedom that, right, like you said, with that linear way of learning that you don't have that concept of, because everything has to be like, there has to be some, and that goes back to always having to have a freaking answer for something. <laughs> no. It has to be no, academic. If we're doing it, if we're doing it in school, it has to have an answer. There has to be a logic reason why and a uh, Pythagorean theorem of how the A plus B equals the square root of C to get to my body to go, hey, I lifted my left fucking arm. <laughs> right. <laughs>
But so, Yako, I have I have a great reference because I know you love action and horror movies and stuff. So we're going to refer it to the movie Underworld. I haven't seen it. With uh, the vampires and the lichens, uh, Kate Beckinsale with the vampires I and lichens. Say I, okay, where, continue. I, I, okay, you do know this. You do know this movie, yeah. Kate Beckinsale. She had the short black hair, and she flips off with the the leather jacket and starts shooting all the werewolves and stuff. But then in the movie, in the movie, one of the elders, you know, uh, she falls in love with this dude Michael, who ends up being like the next lineage of the okay. werewolves. And they're going to have, and he, she bites him and he becomes the next hybrid, like the next thing. But all the elders are like, no, this is an abomination. He has to be killed. And it's like, this is our next evolution. Like what the hell? So that in the Western ideology sense of dance, you are not allowed to be a hybrid dancer. You have to be, ballet is the root of all dance. Eat my black balls about that. That... (laughs) There are a number of world dances that have existed outside of ballet and continue yeah. to exist outside of ballet that ballet people can't do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on my ballet not contemporary friends whatsoever. But there's complete understanding of how to move the body and what, tech, as you said, what technically trained means. That to be a technically trained dancer means that you understand how to move your body in the multiple factions that it can move to different polyrhythmic rhythms and circulations and undulations. That's what being a technical dancer is. Let's set that straight for right. the record. Mike Gamble. Yes, Mike absolutely. Bam. <laughs> um, all of that. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. I interrupted. <laughs> I mean, period at the end, because, you know, and yeah. that's why even at the age of 18, yes, I graduated in 93. Yes, at the age of 18, when I took after the enrollment process, when I took my very first dance class mm-hmm. in a classroom, being taught, technically speaking, um, that I was able to just jump in and Mind mm-hmm. you, you know, there were the usual aches and pains because my muscle groups that were formed for a very, you know, um, weighted, you know, grounded, mm-hmm. earth grabbing, you know, style of movement. And and also with my, you know, athleticism running track, you know, mm-hmm. I was track and field all throughout my adolescence, mm-hmm. you know, those muscle groups that I built for that strength and speed now had to be utilized in a different way where I'm not gripping and everything was up here and floaty and fluttery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so <laughs> that had to happen, but it happened quicker, quicker, excuse me, from that yeah. side then, as you said, the reverse way when it's someone from that strict, rig- regimented, just mm-hmm. like linear lines and what have you going into it the other way. That's yeah, it, it, it throws people off so much when, you know, you try to get them to understand all of that polyrhythms and how there's not just one thing to listen to. That's what that that's what jacks them up. Like understanding Mm -hmm. that even though something is here, you could be feeling right. That whole counterbalance. And, you know, it's it's knowing that you can 
you can find a point of reference in different parts of our music, whether you decide to listen to the yeah. bell and understand that cycle or whether you decide to listen to the supporting pattern or hear, you know, the mm-hmm. lead call. But then like there's so much going on layers, polyrhythms, and it's not just one thing that you have to listen to. So anyhow. And so what I was going to, I was going to continue on that, but I was just going to say real quick that that's also what they teach in these uh, choreography classes, how to choreograph that you have to listen to Mm -hmm. everything in the composition to truly pull out the essence of what it is you're trying to say, because then otherwise it becomes predictable because you're just on that base, as you said, five, six, seven, Mm -hmm. eight, one and two, three and four, but we're going to, we're going to leave that alone for now. So what, uh, what was your quote unquote first professional gig after you got your BFA to become a professional dancer? Um, I actually had a moment where I took some time off uh, right before my last year of um, my uh, four-year program to work with a choreographer um, called Ralph Lemon. And he actually mm-hmm. was the recipient of the CalArts uh, Honorary Doctorate. Um, he oh. won uh, some type of huge award. I can't remember the name of it now. So he came to CalArts to the dance school to give a week's worth of workshops Um, and it was there that no surprise that during his classes that I was in, he noticed something and it was him Mm. that term gave me the terminology hybrid. He was the one that Uh called me that hybrid dancer. And he just saw something in me that I can only describe as to all the things that we just talked about with polyrhythms Mm -hmm. and being able to come from that side into the Western side and, you know, do things in that way, but slightly differently and being able to catch on to that and Mm -hmm. seeing that it's coming from somewhere, even though I learned this style in this Western format, there's still something in there that is not Western <laughs> and without <Yeah. laughs> even knowing who I was, saw that. And he sought me out um, privately uh, with the uh, permission mm-hmm. of my mentor and uh, the, the Dean at the time, because, you know, mm-hmm. you can't just be pulling students out from there. <laughs> so um yeah and that was my first big like you know professional gig where i had to sign a contract and go through the motions and you know i was gone for a while um he had a residency Mm. with this work that he um created it was called geography and he had one and Mm -hmm. two i was part of um sorry he had one and I was part of the second installation and then he did three. Um, and, um, he called it tree and it was Mm -hmm. a representation of how, you know, we're all different ethnicities, but we're still part of this global tree and there are connections. Um, so I represented the hybrid African-American, 
um, part of that. And then he had a African that he brought from uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. And mm-hmm. then he had some representation from uh, India and then from uh, China. Um, and then uh, from a uh, from Japan. And it was interesting, that particular hybrid, because she was a Japanese woman um, that was brought up in the Indian music and dance culture. So she was Japanese, mm. but dance, Bharatanatyam, oh. like anyone Ooh. know, like, I mean, when you saw her, and so she was another hybrid representation for the, um, mm. uh, for the Asian uh, culture in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so he brought us all together and created this, what he called geography. Uh, and he had a residency through this grant, amazing grant that he won to, um, create this work, this piece of work at, uh, Yale university. So I was living in Connecticut, uh, for about 12 months while he developed this piece of work. And then we toured with it. Um, starting off the tour in, in, in Connecticut. And he had the set that was built and this, the set had to travel with us and it was amazing and Mm -hmm. costumes and it was, it was fantastic. Uh, I had a great, great time with that. And then after that, I came back to finish off my year. And then after graduating, I went straight to work with Lula Washington and I was with her. Nice. For the first year until um, I sustained an injury that took a long time to heal. And, you know, it was one of those things where other things were going on and, you know, my body just wasn't feeling right. And I knew something was off. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got into the diagnosis of my lupus. Um with uh, everything that was going on, I just wasn't healing. And I knew there was something wrong with me. It got to the point where can you ex- um, I wasn't able to just stand up on my own two feet, you know? Can you explain what lupus is? Lupus what the, is uh, an autoimmune disease where one's immune system does not work for their body as it should in a normal system where it fights off um, the immune system turns around on itself and attacks the body through various different ways, mm. the internal organs, muscle tissue, um, the bones, joint issues. So a lot of people with lupus have a combination of problems, which is mm-hmm. why it's so difficult to um, diagnose. It's not just one singular test. And I was having a lot of those issues, which I thought now in hindsight, and I, you know, see it now that I know more about it, were just separate things. You know, I would have hip issues and I thought, oh, there's my sciatica, you know, flaring up again. Oh, my shoulder's out. You know, I would be doing bar work and, you know, I couldn't lift up one mm-hmm. arm. And so I would just Oof. moderate and do different movement. Um Uh, all these things and not knowing that, you know, collectively 
they were pointing towards this issue with my immune system. It was just on the attack. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was rough. I was pretty much told that dancing would no longer be something in my future because of the joint issues and the muscle right. issues. And I wouldn't be able to support my own weight. And if I did, you know, I would create cause, you know, more damage than I would want and would need to, you know, walk with a walker at the age of like 30. You know, I was getting all this horrible stuff from, you know, these doctors that didn't know much themselves, you know, and it was, it was rough. The first couple of years, you know, I was on one drug after another, a combination of drugs, things that are like, you know, uh, recalled now. I was, you know, going through a lot and, uh, you know, I didn't want to accept it. And a lot of things that I did, I did through pain and, you know, caused more damage, you know, to the point where I would have to not move for months at a time and just let my body heal. But, you know, look at me now. I there was a turning moment where I was given a book called um, It Starts With Food. And Mm -hmm. I looked into all the different things that are in the foods that we eat, processed foods, Mm -hmm. you know, um, all the bad sugars and and things that just really destroy your body from the inside out. Mm -hmm. The old saying, you are what you eat, for real, for real, (laughs) for real, (laughs) you know. Um, So in all the research that I did, the main thing that I discovered was gluten is one of the things that really uh, is uh, an aggressor to to lupus and 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 joint mobility issues. So I immediately cut that out and noticed a substantial difference in just mm-hmm. how I was getting out of bed in the morning. That was half the struggle, just trying to get out of bed in one piece, you know. Um, But you couldn't move. Right. (laughs) So um, that 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 was one of the things for me. And then just, you know, really trying to make sure that I eat clean. And uh, that's what I do. You know, I, 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 I just make sure that I'm not ingesting processed foods, everything I eat is like really simple you know a protein some vegetables and uh good carbs so right now also these doctors ain't know what your name was right oh yes tell them what your name tell them what your name is tell them what your name is so Part of the Ghanaian culture, when a child is born, um, they can be given uh, a day name. We have names for each day of the week, depending on Mm -hmm. if you're a male or female. Um, My day name is Ayao, A-Y-A-W-O, or uh, for the male version is Yao. And so I have that as my middle name. 
But uh, my father gave me the name of one of my great aunts, which is Yekoyanyo. That's the full name. Y-E-K-O-Y-A-N-Y-O. Yekoyanyo. But we say Yeko for short. Um, and, uh, he gave me her name first and foremost, because after a child is born, you have to keep them indoors, secluded from everybody for the first seven days. Then at that point, if you're able to, you have the outdooring. Sometimes it happens later just for one reason or another. It can't get done right away. You know, maybe some of the elders, um, uh, aren't available to do it at the time, but usually, uh, the outdooring, uh, the, obviously the parents have to be there, but then the maternal, um, grandparents, as well as the paternal grandparents also have to be, um, uh, there as well because they lead the ceremony. Um, they do the mm -hmm. libation, and then there is a process where they have to walk with the child in and out of a doorway also seven times. Um, and then they present the child in the outdooring, which the term outdooring hopefully is self-explanatory. Um, <laughs> but just in case where they are presented to the family, community, friends, outdoors for the first time. Um, it's like the introduction of the child. And so um, then they do the ritual ceremony where uh, they look into the, um, the, the soul of the child, if you will. They, they, they do mm -hmm. like a reading of sorts and to determine if the child is a reincarnation because we wholeheartedly believe in that as part of our um, indigenous beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that's what they found, that I was the reincarnation of this great aunt. So that is what my uh, father, that is who my father named me after. And that name means uh, to excel, uh, to be the best, if you will. Um, and yes, uh, this great aunt of mine, was a force to be reckoned with. She didn't lay down anything that she did. She always had to do to the 10th power. Uh, like Yeka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes. So um, she didn't do mediocre. Like she just didn't like doing things regular. You know, she always had mm -hmm. to <laughs> be extra. Um <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe I can kind of see the resemblance. No, just playing. <laughs> but, uh, yes. So uh, I was named after her and um, uh, there you have it. That's the history yeah. with that. <laughs> and she excelled. Not only did she continue after, through her lupus, she got stronger. She's now doing CrossFit. She gave birth to two children, not one that she could have not been here through, but Kiana just turned 17. Uh, she will be, she is 17. She will be turning 18 in March. 
Yeah, she just turned 17. Her well, birthday's- I don't think as, as just, but okay, fine. Sorry. She's my, okay, we are not going to, listen, all of my, all of my guests, we are going to stop these age things. I am timeless. Look at, as you said, the bone structure and the skin. Listen, we're going to keep it timeless. So my baby girl, Kiana, just turned 17. Yes, sir. All right. Got it. (laughs) And Brighton just entered junior high. Yep. Yep. With his big old self. Yeah. We're not going to talk about that. Nope. 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 So, um, so yeah, Yako excels at everything. Let's get, let's get into some of this food stuff. Cause Yako and I met, uh, how long after you started rebuilding yourself or during your rebuilding process, did you get to Anindo? I want to say it was probably about two years because I mm. was still with Lula for a little bit and through my, you know, my lupus in the beginning stages, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, uh, uh, Lula Washington was very instrumental in allowing me to still work with the company. I wasn't dancing. That's when I found out that, you know, I had other talents in sewing and, um, uh, just doing, uh, costuming. Right. So mm-hmm. then, I was still with the company for uh, some time as traveling with them, not performing, but being the costume director. So I Mm -hmm. was the one in charge of sorting all the costumes for the different uh, repertoire and then making sure everything was cleaned and laundered and mending, what have you. Um, I actually designed uh, costumes for a new piece that she created when she was uh, commissioned by one of the, I want to say LA jazz something or other. And we did this big performance at the Hollywood bowl with that particular jazz orchestra. I had designed the costumes for that. So, um, you know, I, going to the meaning of my name, like just never giving up, always trying to excel Mm -hmm. in something. Even if I couldn't dance at the moment, I still found a way to be involved with dance um, just in a different way. And I was able to do that and still kind of work through, you know, the, the beginning of, you know, this, this road with my lupus. Mm -hmm. And figuring that out, you know. Um, so then, yeah, I kind of got to manage on it with um, a lot of drugs. I, I, I was on quite a few, but that's what it had to take for me to be able to, you know, somewhat stay active. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, um, started with an endo. And, and, and that story was also kind of like a happy accident. Um where uh, it was through someone else, Zari, who uh, also went to CalArts, randomly took a class at the studio in Woodland Hills Dance Dimensions. Mm-hmm. And somehow the topic got on something that then connected to West African dance and then Ghana. And then my name came up or my family name, you know, came up, which again is just very well known because 
of everything that I talked about before. <laughs> but um, anyhow, legendary um, family. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing, you know that it's it's so funny because people will see that in my name because I I go by the hyphenated Laza Pokol, my maiden mm. name with my married name, and to this day people will see Laza and they're like, oh, "Are you?" such and such the daughter or, you know, (laughs) because I have an uncle at Berkeley that teaches at Berkeley and up North. And like, he's taken over the Northern part of California. Like he's a phenom out there in his own Mm -hmm. right. Um, So yeah, we're kind of sprinkled across the, the United States. So when people see my last name, they know I am somehow related to one of these folks. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. And then she took a picture on her cell phone and texted me the picture. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember her. I couldn't remember her name. Um, because, uh, she was a longtime family friend back in the early days of my father's, uh, teaching at Cal arts. And mm-hmm. it was her husband who was involved in dance through um, uh, Dunham Technique, which is mm-hmm. how that happened for Anindo. Um, and Anindo, by the way, is from Kenya. She is mm-hmm. uh, amazing. Raised and uh, amazing singer. Yeah, she was a singer back in Kenya um, in her own right, kind of famous there. Uh, but then, you know, made the pilgrimage here and through drumming and dancing, met her husband and uh, then they, you know, kind of created their own husband, wife duo teaching West African music and dance and integrating it with Dunham because that's the whole, you know, history of Dunham Mm -hmm. uh, in ethnomusicology. Um, And yeah. So then unfortunately her husband did pass away, but she continued and uh, it was through teaching these classes that, you know, she kind of wanted to start to develop something. And mm-hmm. that's how that came about. So Zari texted me and then she got a hold of me and she was like, oh, yeah, why don't you come and just, you know, say hi and take a class. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then and that was the that was the end. The beginning yeah. of the end. <laughs> yeah. And then Same and thing. somehow you got roped into it and it was just, yeah. So Pendu was dancing. I don't know how she got involved, but Pendu was dancing with y'all for MDC and was like, oh, you would like you would love so Pendu and I, I'm actually the one that got Pendu to start teaching African class, West African classes in Los Angeles in mm-hmm. the quote unquote circuit. Right. And so we knew each other from that. And then she started dance with y'all. And she's like, bro, we need, we need a guy. And we're there's this company that does Afro with Dunham. And like you'd be great. So come. I told a Nindo about you. And I was like, okay. And Woodland Hills, uh, <laughs> all right. Right. <laughs> Woodland Hills is like an out 45 minutes to an hour outside of LA, like going towards the desert. So uh and we, I you know, let's, just let's let's be honest, you know, it was kind of like bougie. It was kind of like the 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 valley's <laughs> version or answer to you know Beverly Hills, if you will. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> so there's that level to it as well. Right. So 
I'm coming to what I think is just me taking a class with the company just as, you know, see if it works out or like how I am and stuff. And then all of a sudden I'm being in the same two and a half hours that I'm there. All of a sudden I'm being positioned in pieces and like, okay, so Mike, if you do, can you learn this part? Oh, you learned this part already. Okay. That's good. Okay. You stay there. And then, so next, so next week we're going to go over, we'll teach you this one. And then every Sunday we'll be here, blah, blah, blah. Wait, what? Oh, so, <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> I'm in, I guess I'm in the. That I know. It's so and, funny. And then I think and, everybody kind of had that story coming yeah. in. You know, <laughs> then Katiana, I don't know, like, yeah. I, somehow she, and it was funny, it wasn't until she came that I realized, because I think it was an endo that said, oh, yeah, and I have another person that's coming in. She went to CalArts, too, and I'm just like, huh? <laughs> and then when I met Katya <laughs> for the first time, it was like, oh, you graduated from CalArts? Yeah, you graduated from CalArts? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and we were just like, <laughs> okay. So but, it was so funny how just everybody... I'm pretty sure. And we became a family. We became a straight up family. We came, we became a straight up family. Yes. I I remember everybody. Yeah. I was about to say, that's where the food comes in y'all. Right. Listen, only thing. So we we're in Woodland Hills, which is in the Valley. So it's like three times hotter than it is in Los Angeles. So it was like a hundred something degrees. Or if you're listening in Europe, it's like 40 something degrees where we are just dying. And Yako is like, okay, we got food. And she used to cook and bake. I remember she made this curry chicken salad. Yes. That that, was <laughs> and which cookie? It was your oatmeal butterscotch cookies. Yes. Yo, listen, it's in my head. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't know who this girl is, but we're going to be brothers. We're going to be friends. <laughs> I like her. She... She my sis right now. And here we, we are. Would be there. I mean, it wasn't your see, and that's the thing. It was camaraderie, right? Yes, we yeah. were going there to just kind of try to be a, an official dance company and rehearse. But it was like we would get there and first it'd be talking and catching up. Then, you know, we would kind of warm up and 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 maybe we would do a class and Ninda would and then, you know, we would kind of break for a little bit and then we talk some more. And then by the time you know it, it'd be like five hours gone. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like nine thirty, ten o'clock. Right. And then everybody's hungry. Then some people, so I was like, you know what? Let me just bring some food. You know, let me make some Yo, food. I was, so I was loving it. I was like, ooh, what she, what she brought this time? What, what's, who? Yako, my, and you were, and you were like the dance captain. So like, you were like the official, like prima of the, of the company. And I, I latched on to you because you were so, inspirational to I just saw this strong woman just like killing both the African side and the Dunham side and I am not I did not grow up as a what we taught called earlier a technical dancer right. I come straight up from West African in hip-hop like improvisational 
I have like, that's my thing, but I was a dance minor in university. So I got some technique there, but it was like, I never really paid attention to it. I was like, this isn't my thing. I'm just doing it because I'm a dance minor, blah, 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 blah. I never really paid attention. <laughs> yeah. I never really got into it. You know, it's like, okay, I'm doing turns and stuff right. now. And I guess I got to point my foot. Okay, cute. I'm performing on stage. I can do a double. I can do a triple. Yay. And I remember like watching you and I just became captivated. And I was like, I want to dance like her. And, and I remember, uh, I can't remember if Katiana said it, told me about it, or if I walked by and heard it. But uh, again, I was just surprised that Aninda wanted me in the company because y'all, y'all were so what I would consider advanced, technically advanced more than I was. So I felt like I was just struggling and like being the black sheep, just like, oh, there's a guy in the company. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> and uh, Anindo and you were talking and she said, you know, Michael's not the most technical dancer, but I can't stop watching him because mm-hmm. when he performs, his energy yeah. is just next level. And that made me so to hear that made me so happy and proud that and what people fail to realize is that you know that is part of technique whether you want to realize it or not it's not just the actual physicality and it's like the energy that you're being and that's that's the part that drives it right so yes you know and that 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 is part of technique and there are so many people that lack that to that where they're dancing and their technique in terms of their angles and, and legs and, you know, they're all here, but then they're just dry. Dead in the face. Just I like, say this too. If, I, you're one of, if you're one of my former students listening, if you're one of my current students or former students listening, you know, I say that all the time. I don't care if your foot is 10 degrees off the ground instead of 90 and somebody else can put their leg up. I would rather look at the person with the less developed leg that is mm-hmm. giving all of their energy than the person could put their leg behind their back yep. and just giving me robot dance on stage. I want yep. to feel and understand and emote with you. I don't want to just be like, Oh, pretty leg, pretty leg. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was, pretty that was leg a defining and ugly face. Now just playing. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, Oops, put a bag over it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving uh, on. So I was going to say that was one of my most defining moments of my dance career, knowing that at that point I actually was a I I could dance dance, and that meant I could do everything. And with that, do you remember that crazy ass dance that Anendo Congo? Yes. The <laughs> the one where the, you couldn't breathe. The one where you couldn't he, breathe. You, you, if he, <laughs> your heart couldn't fucking pump. <laughs> Yo, do you remember? Do you remember when we were doing the uh, demo video, like the uh, the promo video, and we did all the pieces? She saved that one for last, and we were like, "All right, let's go, y'all, let's go." And it's me, you, Katiana, Pendu, and I think it was Zari. Um, was maybe one there were six of us mm-hmm. and we are didn't 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 hot dig it and then it 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 yes you remember it 
And we are in it to win it. And it's one of those like 45, 110 degree days in the studio, just covered in sweat. We've been dancing for like five or six hours with lights in the studio as well, because we're doing this like professionally. And for some reason, the camera doesn't work. And she goes, can you guys do it again? Again? (laughs) We're like, what? Uh, And I remember the first time actually doing it. and, And, you know, it's so typical. It's so typical that when we learn something and we get comfortable with it, you know, at a certain pace and then lights, camera, action, it turns into a whole nother piece because an end of the track to get some energy and then play Who was that drummer? five times. As- who, who was that? I forget his name. He was shorter. He was with us all the time. What is his? I wanted to kill him if y'all can see this video and see my face i wanted to kill him because you start off it's you're like what 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 and then all of a sudden you go right and i'm like yo i want to say hold on it's coming to me it's coming to me mike it was michael it was michael it was one of her young students who could not contain and control his like energy. (laughs) He practiced that with the Nindo and got it down to where it was comfortable. And then here he come and it just started getting pushed. And then all of a sudden we like some speedy Gonzalez looking like just can't even finish a moment before we have to get to the next moment. (laughs) It just felt like. (laughs) (laughs) And the worst, worst part about it is of all the repertoire that we had, we never performed that once. (laughs) Not once did we perform it. Now we did this entire show with, we did the- Everything else, yeah. Hold on, uh, hold on. Nisha Folk, what what you got? Yep, hold on. I I, I told you, I still had it. You with the set, kind of blurred out, but there he is right there. Dance with a saxophone. Uh, yo, I was just about to bring up Nisha Folks's piece, Uncle Tom's Cabin, as you said. <laughs> it was Uncle Tom's Cabin, where that's where I was introduced to Chester Whitmore, and yeah. he introduced us to Lindy. And at this point, this is before Paolo came. So it was just me and another little Michael. Yeah. And little Michael was maybe 17. Yes. He was young, young. He was coming straight so from right. Yeah, so Nisha's like, oh, Mike Gamble, so here, so I need you, you're going to dance with every one of these girls and throw them around your back and then lift them and you're going to do a front flip over to the next girl and do a pole swing around the arm and then I want you to do gazelle dives around the stage and then get up and continue dancing and play the saxophone and jump off of a fucking uh, podium into a split on the floor. It was supposed to be, yeah, that roll-in bar that we had. Yes. The bar, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, thank you very much for, no. Believing in me, but, yeah. (laughs) Right, but no. What we're not going to do is break my back. (laughs) Just to try something out. (laughs) It was a beautiful piece. It was a great number. You did the, uh, you did the, the, uh, trio with Misha to Black Eyed Peas and Sergio. That you actually had a lupus flare there. Yes, because you hurt your knee. 
Yes. And uh, I had to, there was a question of if I was going to do one of the performances. And I remember mm-hmm. I had someone else. There was this really tall, gorgeous girl. It wasn't Katiana. Someone else that came in to do that part. But I did was do it. Was it Paris? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Mind but, you, this was a lot of years ago. I'm not going right. to say what year was Hello. we're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, um, that was uh, and then it was after that when I kind of had to go away for a bit. And then Nisha, yeah. uh, not Nisha, Misha, Misha. Um, was the one then that stepped in and she was dance captain uh, yeah. for a while um, because I yeah, I had to take a break after that one. That one, that one wrecked my body. Yeah, yeah, that that. And the, the entire piece was like 15 minutes long because yeah. Furley had a solo. So we had the opening number. We had Furley's uh, Hard Hat and Hannah. We had mm-hmm. the Sergio Mendez part portion. We had another portion. Then we had the whole thing at the end. Yeah. We are do, we're doing part of the Shim Sham. Yeah. And it was just like, yo, I'm dying. But it was a great piece. But then with Anindo, we got to go to Hawaii. We got to go to Kauai and perform with the cast from Lion King, the original cast Uh from Lion King. We performed at some party in like Westwood in some person's backyard before we went to Hawaii. Uh, That's when you gave gave me my belt. That's when you gave me my belt. My my leather belt with the uh, shells on it that you had from home. Yes. I got that. I remember we and did. Then, uh, were you with us for this one where we did um, some private event? It was a corporate event for um, that woman with the with the apes. The, the uh, what's her name? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Sarah, Sarah Goodall. Yes, yes. And yes. funny story about that. I remember clear as day. It was hilarious because we did Bamaya, the one with the shaking. Yep. And then mm-hmm. we wore the monkey fur hats. Monkey. Yep. And yeah, <laughs> that was a complete <laughs> conflict of interest. When someone was asking about the costume and I was like, Oh, we're at a foundation to save the monkeys and we're wearing <laughs> monkey fur hats. Okay. <laughs> Whoops. Yes. Oh, we had a lot of fun. We went cliff, we went cliff jumping, waterfall jumping in Kauai. Yeah, and I only did it because you did it. I, I I was kind of like, eh. And then you're like, come on, if I go, you go. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so And you had fun. Gamble tested the waters first. And then yes, yeah. I followed. It was fun. Yes, it was. Talk about an episode loaded with history, education, family legacy, stories, and laughs. And there's still more. Make sure you check out part two of Gamble's Green Room, episode six, with guest Diego Lazekpo Cole. Load it up, press play, and let's go.